Hi there, just a quick note because we do talk about charities that are donating money and resources to Ukraine in this podcast and as the story that we lead with is not a particularly positive one uh, to do with a particular charity, I thought maybe we should draw attention to a charity that I think is doing fantastic work for the people of Ukraine who are being displaced and who are being accommodated in Estonia. That is the Estonian Refugee Council or Esti Pagolasabi. If you go to their website you will see that they are looking for donations for everything to do with the effort to accommodate Ukrainian refugees in Estonia while the war is taking place. Uh, They're taking donations now and you can donate directly from your online bank if you are in Estonia. The website is pagulasabi.ee, that is P-A-G-U-L-A-S-A-B-I dot E-E and then forward slash E-N. That website again, P-A-G-U-L-A-S-A-B-I dot E-E forward slash E-N for the English website. Uh, Or you can just Google Estonian Refugee Council and you'll be taken there that way. They operate on a tiny budget. They have very, very low overheads. And I know from seeing them at work that they would greatly appreciate your, your funds and that they would put them to use in the best possible way. Welcome to Questonia, the podcast that understands it's not never meet your heroes, but never read their open letters. I've been listening to Daft Punk's reissued Random Access Memories and thinking what a good time 2013 was to be alive, while the opinion sections of Postumeus and ERR are firmly stuck in 1993, aware of the irony of me being the person criticising anyone taking part in Desperate Grasp for Relevance. I'm S. Garlic, and this is the much more relevant uh, Marys Hellrand. Marys, we sit recording this on a beautiful spring afternoon, and I very much hope you have a gin and tonic on the rocks just next to you there in Humar. Yes, hello. Oh, no, no gin and tonic. I've been um, mainly gardening the whole day, enjoying it immensely without any hope whatsoever to get any crops. <laughs> but uh, isn't, isn't uh, toiling endlessly without any hope of a result uh, a perfect introduction to Estonian politics, though? Absolutely. But I, I do hope we, we have more success with some... Uh, um ongoing or um outstanding policy initiatives than with my gardening well th- definitely but then g- gardening is just the best antidote to uh, any of the news and uh, i um i'll just say this briefly before we get on with business i i was uh, i was pondering the other day you know why i'm into politics why i'm not into something like i don't know cheap tv or you know um uh, cocktail making or gardening or just basically i think uh, everyone should have a hobby and i should definitely have more hobbies um uh, would you say gardening is a a good thing to get into right now to uh, to be an antidote to the news absolutely absolutely i mean it's uh, just so rewarding to um, get your fingers dirty absolutely well um so th- thanks for planting the seed of that idea pun intended um so this is a catch-up show and there's plenty to catch up on People say there's no inspiration to be taken from the burnt-out husk of American politics, but the Estonian opposition is attempting to threaten a government shutdown that couldn't be more American if it smeared everything with barbecue sauce. 
Meanwhile, the great hope of the kinder, gentler new politics, SD200's Johanna Maria Lechtme, is stepping down from the Rigikogu after being embroiled in scandal at her charity Slava Ukraini. And uh, we'll spare a thought for the poor, unfortunate Estonian culture correspondent who was forced to go all the way to Brussels to watch Beyonce. By the way, if you're into culture, listen on this feed to new episodes of Questonia Culture, where I talk to some of the most exciting creative people from Estonia about their work and lives. Uh, the first episode featured a prodigiously talented jazz pianist named Britta Virez, who is discussing her new album Juniper, and that's online now, wherever you listen to this. Uh, coming up next, we have a chat with genre-defying singer-songwriter Ingrid Lucas. So, um, kind of sad news, first of all, um, but I feel like we have to cover it because, let's face it, if this were a figure on the right, then we would be talking about this being just another sign of uh, the deep-seated corruption. Um, so, Johanna Maria Lettme uh, won the most votes of any candidate for SD200 in the uh, last election, and she's just been forced to resign due to the... Um, uh, embroiling scandal um, over her charity Slava Ukraini MTU and uh, its uh, alleged misappropriation of funds. Now, this is reporting that uh, friend of the pod Holger Ronimar has done for SD Express and uh, it's excellent reporting. I recommend everyone takes a look at that. But uh, it's been brewing up since mid-April. Um, so, f- first of all, the charity Slava Ukraini it, it's it's probably one of the things that I think uh, Estonians are most proud of over over the past year, just because of the the way that it's managed to marshal civic efforts and um, and well, seemingly get equipment to the Ukrainian front line. So, what's gone wrong there? Yes, I mean you are absolutely right. This charity has been uh, sort of a flagship uh, civic engagement for Ukraine if you like, maybe apart from um, uh, helping the refugees who have arrived here. All in all, as far as the figures go, Estonian people have donated 6 million euros um, to Slava Ukraini, which is by far the biggest um, amount um, donated. Um, Actually, the next one down the line, as far as I know, is the Ukrainian Cultural Centre that has received 4 million euros. So, um, that's sort of the the size uh, of the money we're talking about, and also to put uh, sort of to put the the record straight, uh, we're not talking about embezzling funds in in millions. So uh, still, everyone who has uh, uh, researched uh, and investigated this so far from the media side is saying that up until last fall, everything uh, that was donated really did reach um, Ukraine and the front line, and there was no irregularities there. But um, some somewhere by the end of summer or September, trouble started. And uh, it's, um, it's uh, really um, a very, very unfortunate um, situation. I think I have I have donated to them because it always felt um, so straightforward and so easy, because uh, because of uh, Anna Maria Lehtmer's personality, the whole operation had a, such a strong sort of public uh, visibility, and 
and that's why yeah, they were kind of all over the place and that that felt like the easiest thing to do if you were upset about something that was happening in ukraine you could just um make a quick uh, phone call and um uh, and donate 50 euros and that was it and you didn't uh, really figure is that the best thing that i should be donating to so um I think a lot of people feel very, very disappointed. Two groups of people and partly overlapping. The ones who have donated the six million euros, um, many, many people have donated uh, thousands. Some have maybe uh, um, sort of remained in uh, in tens or dozens of euros. Um, and then also, of course, there are more than 5,000 people who voted for her in the election. So uh these um all these must must feel very very disappointed at this point definitely and um it, it's it's worth pointing out for balance that uh, every every charity has overheads the the biggest charities have have the biggest overheads uh you can read articles on uh, oxfam for example and their staff spending uh, but i i think this is a slightly different matter to that uh, it it revolves around uh, the foundation of a Ukrainian company IC Construction, which uh, according to Esti Pivalet in April um, uh, its its only major business was with Slava Ukraini and its profit last year was €250,000 so you are right, not millions and, and we should put this in perspective but uh, certainly um, there there was there was enough uh, smoke and mirrors around that to, uh, to, to raise questions and to raise uh, the need for scrutiny um, now, since then, Slava Ukraini has changed its board. Um, Lechme has stood down and she stood down from her Rigikogo seat. Replaced by Suleksa Ismailova, uh, or also known as Zuzu. <laughs> so what can you tell me about uh, Ismailova? Well, um, she uh, joined SD200 after having uh, led the Green Party to elections, I guess uh, a couple of times in both at local elections and Rigikogo uh, without any success. Um, and um, yes, I mean, um, she's, um, she certainly um, um, has her heart in the right place. So she's worried about the environmental issues and this uh, this um, this interest and worry is genuine. I'm not uh, utterly convinced about her uh, effectiveness as a politician uh, with this track record. But uh, sort of um, putting more emphasis on environmental awareness within the ST200 uh, Rigikogo fraction, this is uh, perhaps... Uh, a very good outcome actually because right at the moment uh, the major spokesperson on environmental issues for this party is also a major um, timber entrepreneur uh, who clearly has uh, some uh, specific business interests uh, and i i really uh, find it very hard to see how these two hats uh, suit one head 
Zuleksa Ismailova, as you say, former leader of the Estonian Greens, um, so will be coming into the Rigikogu at least with the hope of uh, making a major change in uh, uh, climate policy. Um, Hannah Lahe is um, is another young politician who has uh, come in in this election cycle, uh, um, sa- saying that uh, she wanted to stand on a platform of uh, of changing climate policy. Um, what we're seeing is a lot of uh, young green-centric politicians taking seats in uh, larger or mainstream parties rather than uh, going with the Estonian Greens and, uh, you know, potentially um, being out of parliament and being known for, known for being more of an activist and a campaigner. Uh, the Estonian Greens handed over to uh, uh, Evelyn Sepper's leader recently, um, who is probably best known for being a member of the Centre Party for many years and uh, uh, also for the... Um, um, Excellent but grossly over budget culturally cartel building project, which uh, which is now uh, which has now been up there for a, well going on a decade. Um, but uh, so, are we seeing um, the problem of uh, green centred politicians going into parties that are not themselves green centred and then being focused on the issues those parties would have been focused on anyway? Or can can they actually make a difference in these larger uh, organisations than than they could do in the Greens? Well, my guess is that's the only place where they actually can make a difference. I mean, this is an optimistic take, but uh, um, the Green Party itself has really, uh, unfortunately, uh, over the last uh, several election cycles, shown that uh, there's just no... Uh, no way to resuscitate it beyond the five percent threshold, and uh, I, I am not terribly optimistic that Evelyn Sepp is going to make uh, all the difference there. Although I know that she has also um, taken up gardening extensively to a, a, a professional level, so perhaps her green credentials have increased compared to the center party days but uh, uh, other than that uh, it's really a a sad situation that the greens are in and therefore um, people like Anna Lahe or even um, Zulek Saad joining uh, sort of bigger mainstream parties where a lot of um, industry interests are at play is perhaps uh, a smart move uh, and you can um, shift uh, the issues uh, there i mean in western europe we've seen that uh, the the sort of the traditional issues the traditional fringe issues of green parties have become issues on of main, mainstream politics so the same thing is happening here and uh, if you take the german greens it's uh, it's long, long gone that they are just uh, sort of one issue party. It's um, they have mainstreamed the green um, or environmental issues, and by doing that, evolve themselves into a major mainstream party in, with very, uh, very clear policies on all all sorts of other issues, including foreign policy. Um- as for ST two hundred, uh, the 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 party claims that life goes on and that uh, their their aims haven't changed. But I think it's more the fact that uh, 
you know, their most popular elected politician um, uh, at the time of the elections, um, uh, Lechmer, was a symbol of what they stood for, this, uh, you know, new kinder, gentler form of politics uh, where, you know, things would get done and they would uh, break through the deadlock of, as, as they as they as they uh, saw it of the of the older, more established parties. Um Question would be: uh, Can SD two hundred continue to have that whiter than white image when, after nine weeks, their most popular member has has had to leave due to a scandal? I think um, there are other other uh, sort of issues that are already sort of crumbling on uh, around this whiter than white image. Uh, foremost, also, you know, naming the industry person as a head of the environmental committee or or um, other other things so clearly they are going to take a hit from this let case but uh, i think uh, it's it would be very very um, cynical to assume that uh, that they actually knew who uh, uh, all these uh, all these issues that are, have um, surfaced now yeah, and there there is um, just just finally on this point, there there is there is a question to be asked of the media as well because uh, the the investigation surfaced in the press around April, which was obviously a month after the the election. Um, it it seems interesting, at least, uh, to uh, putting my cautious hat on that uh, none of this surfaced either in the immediate aftermath or or during the uh, election campaign um it, it it wouldn't be beyond the bounds of possibility to say that um stories occasionally get delayed when there is a question mark over them i'm talking about in every country now um in, in including including the united states but in in this case if if there was any feeling that this might have been happening um, do, do you think that the media had a duty to report it um, prior to people electing um, um, a politician who was one of the most popular in the country? Or do you think that uh, they were right to you know, make sure their facts were absolutely watertight and then come out after the election with this? I mean, the question is justified because the, the first reports came out just days after the election. So most likely this was, uh, there were hints before that, or or they were um, successfully suppressed by the Slava Ukraine themselves. But then um, that it took a while to investigate, I think is, uh, it, uh, makes totally sense because going out with uh, such, uh, I mean, no, but no sources were, uh were ready to uh, to uh go public with uh with this information uh at an earlier stage uh i've uh, listened to the estebalet podcast about uh, making off this uh, story and i mean it has taken them weeks and weeks to talk to the sources to go through the paperwork and to convince people to go public with their names so it just wasn't um, the story just wasn't ready before that but it would definitely have had a major uh, impact on the election result 
Absolutely, and um, of course, uh, Lechmer was also named Postumé's Person of the Year last year, so uh, um, one suspects that uh, the reason why uh, it was Pivolet and Express, the the other um, major um, newspapers leading the investigation, was uh, perhaps partly because it would look extremely bad for their uh, Person of the Year to also be um, subject of their investigative journalism. Yes, and I mean, uh, and to be to be honest, Pavelet uh, and the Express investigative uh, uh, editors are the ones who are sort of flagship of investigative journalism in Estonia at the moment. So Postumus has nothing to um, to put up to compete with them anyway. Yeah. All right. So um, the the other big story, which has been um, lo- looming in the uh, in 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 the rearview mirror, is um, the uh, obstruction of uh, of the coalition program by the opposition. So um, I I think you and I both had big hopes for the new governing coalition when they came in. Even the uh, proposed rises on tax for the richest members of society, and also um, the change in the basic tax exem- exemption and also everything else, uh, including family allowances, have been uh, obstructed and prevented from happening by the opposition. So um, is this just Centre, Isamar and Ekra um, stamping their foot, stamping their feet um, and uh, pr- protesting the uh, government governing coalition having uh, a programme which they didn't announce during the election, i.e. tax rises? Um or is there something, is there something more sinister and more insidious about this? I mean, um, all all of those three parties know very well that what you have, uh, what they have promised before the elections, is not necessarily the policy they uh, have pursued uh, once in government after the elections. So the track record for all all of those. Uh, uh, stamping their feet right now is uh, is very clear on that so um well i guess uh, for isama and postimes the the uh, isama <laughs> sorry for isama <laughs> <laughs> a nice little throw you in sleep there <laughs> uh, for isama and center it's um it's uh, clearly they they need to uh, show their flag and uh, fight for for policy issues that are important for them. Uh, for example, the family allowances for uh, center the the tax uh, questions. So they are putting on a fair fight. Uh, for Ekra, it's it's a different story. I think they have really. Uh, I mean, Martin has said very clear that he wants to uh, prevent. The government from governing at all costs, and to uh, and hopes um, it to lead to to early elections, but it doesn't look um, like it's happening. What we've seen during this um, obstruction is, of course, it's sort of put, uh, looking at it uh, from lead from legalistic or legal view yes it's the first time that the opposition has used this type of obstruction but uh, uh, to be honest um, or as we've already seen during uh, during the last week the the head of the parliament has sort of gathered his uh, his uh, wit and uh, and ended it um, 
within the the possibilities that uh, that the law gives. And even though um, Ekra has again again hired Paul Keres. Uh, probably based on the successful track record <laughs> to uh, uh, to uh, sue um, the parliament's uh, leadership uh, at the um, state court. court. Um, as far as I understand, um, sort of the the legal interpretation is um, having to find a balance between the right of the opposition to obstruct. And the right of the government to, and the parliament to make laws, propose laws, discuss laws, make laws. So the balance is gonna gonna be there that the government is and the parliament is still able to work. Therefore, I don't I don't think the the court case will be uh, uh, successful. But but what we've seen is. Uh, some physical behavior on behalf of the opposition that has not happened before in the Estonian mm. parliament with uh, Martin Helmer banging the furniture with his fist and uh, and saying that the furniture is going to fly. I guess he was trying to take it into smaller pieces before he could lift any of it to throw around. But um, this is new and it's not... Uh, uh, it's not happened in the Estonian parliament, but then there are other examples of obstruction in other parliaments where uh, actually uh, M- um, MPs can uh, really also physically obstruct the the other side from, uh, for example, entering the, uh, the speaker's uh, lectern. And um, that has um, led to physical conflicts. I mean, there's parliaments like India or Ukraine or Israel, where sort of physical struggles of the MPs are not uncommon. It's just that um, in Estonia, this physical show of uh, your displeasure is uh, something new. And I don't think this fit was uh, any way sort of rationally controlled and planned by him. As you've said, uh, Ekra's aims with this obstruction were um, are slight, slightly different to the other two opposition parties in that uh, they they actually um, well at least claimed to hold the vain hope of uh, uh, perhaps forcing this to an extraordinary election, uh, um, maybe forcing the coalition down as the Roivas government fell in 2016, for example. But uh, um, and uh, they they had uh, said, you know, we're in this for the long haul. We'll continue obstructing for you know the le- next year if we need to. Um, uh, now that that looks like not happening, but uh, it looks like not happening because laws are to be passed restrict- restricting the amount of time opposition can spend scrutinising parliamentary business. So, in in a sense, by claiming they're standing up for democracy, however wrongly they might be claiming that. Um, are they not actually forcing through restrictions on the amount of democracy that we have? I think it's perhaps too early to tell. In the end, this will come down to a compromise because really uh, both sides uh, uh, know that um, the fortunes might be flipped in future and they will be on the other side of this uh, business. And uh, 
therefore there's always a compromise. 30 years of democracy have um, actually helped to iron out some of these uh, uh, more adventurous uh, approaches, I guess. But uh, it, it, it's, it seems like a, an, almost a mirror of what's happening in America, where the Republicans are threatening to default on the debt on the debt ceiling, um, uh, is, is essentially. Um, so um, which would lead to government shutdown, which would lead to uh, the US lo- losing its AAA credit rating, etc. So it. It, it, it feels like there, you know, whenever a Democrat is the president, there's going to be a threat to the debt ceiling. And it feels like here, whenever there is a liberal coalition or um, or um, a liberal party in charge, uh, there will always be this threat to parliamentary business. Because, um, forgive me, but I, I just can't remember liberals, uh, at least in Estonia, ever applying this playbook. It feels like something that only the right do and only conservatives do. Um, liberals will, of, of course, you know, uh, they, they, they will bring in tiny amendment bills. They will try and micromanage business, but they, they always generally um, end up being sporting and letting things go eventually when it's clear who has the majority, don't they? Uh, well, uh, no, the liberal side has also used obstruction, but in a different way. It, it's been, uh, well, this time they have obstructed the parliament even um voting on the agenda and getting to daily business. Whereas uh, the previous ones, including um, the liberals, uh, the the last case was just before the Ekreke government fell about the their planned referendum on the definition of marriage. And that's where the liberals used um, the classical ob- obstruction that um, has, has been used in Estonian parliament many times so, uh, that they propose um, thousands of amendments to the to the law being debated actually so that's what they did and then uh, this also helped to stall stall this process for a while but there have been uh, examples and cases from both sides yeah um can can the president can President Curry step in? Um, it, it, he seems to be reluctant to do that, and um, I I would speculate one of the reasons why he is re- reluctant is uh, apart from his um, inherent carefulness, the the fact that he doesn't want to go the same way as President Kalyulaid and end up with the approval of um, no major party due to um, him him being seen as um, quote unquote too political, um, but. Uh, there, there is a point at which the president has to um, at least say something, isn't there? Well, he could say something, but he can't really do much. So therefore, saying something is uh, uh, like when saying something is his only uh, only weapon, then uh, uh, it's not uh, wise to use it too, too much and too often. And um to be honest i think it's it's a it's a wise approach uh, for him to say parliament needs to resolve its uh problems by himself by itself because um uh, it's the different uh, strands of power it's the parliament it's the president it's the it's the prime minister or the government and it's the judiciary and they should not really interfere into each other's uh, uh spheres and i think uh, is um, like feeling both uh, 
the inability to uh, or the the legal legal obstacles to uh, to interfering too much and also um, sort of the political um, risks of of doing it. Mm. Uh, the the frustration I have though is that it feels like the Estonian uh, um, uh, political judicial process is is built around the idea of all parties working effectively for the republic is built is built around is built around essentially the the idea of people getting along and being good sports which I don't know might have been the case before I arrived might have been the case in the nineties but. Uh, it, it it feels like since since Ekra came along and since Isamar were weaponized by Ekra and became uh, became more more uh, m- more more of a um, 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 ultra conservative party, we have um, it, you know the Overton window has moved to the right and we we now have effectively activist investors in the boardroom in the form of ECRA. We have we have wreckers. We have people who don't necessarily care about the democratic process. They just want power. And um, th- this feels like a new thing for Estonian politics. Um, you can maybe comment in a minute on how new it really is. But it, it, it feels it, like when, when Ula Madi, sir, the Chancellor of Justice, says in her latest long interview on ERR, um, quite correctly that uh, the parties have to sort this out for themselves, that there shouldn't be any judicial intervention, but also says there is no constitutional crisis. It, fr- it frustrates me because if this isn't a constitutional crisis, uh, the constitutionally you know elected um, uh, groups being unable to put through their put through their business, then. I, I just don't know whether she would say the same thing if the boot was on the other foot. I I I I I feel that uh, uh, Ula Madisa has shown the ability and willingness to intervene on um, other things that you wouldn't say would be uh, worthy of judicial intervention, such as um, a mask mandate during the COVID lockdown, for example. Uh, she she has shown willingness to intervene then, and yet now it's kind of oh. Nope, not my thing. Um, you know, you're elected, you get on with it. Um, it it feels like uh, it feels like everyone is operating by the '90s playbook here. Uh, that's the frustrating thing for me. Yes, I mean there have been some critical voices who, uh, apart from the government uh, parties as well, who have pointed out that this resembles a, a, a constitutional crisis because. Um, there are uh, there are the examples of Germany from the Weimar Republic era where obstruction actually effectively led to Hitler's rise to power and um, or disabling the parliament. So um, the the track record is there that uh, via democratic means it's possible to uh, get rid of democracy um, and. Um, Yes, I mean, uh, in a way, you are right. This is a new situation with uh, with uh, ECRA being in the parliament to such uh, with such a power, because really, for everyone else, uh, still the shared understanding is that uh, uh, Estonia as a state is based on the democratic uh, uh, rule of law and uh, and. Uh, in spite of all sort of different uh, ideas on policies, this has not been shaken. Whereas now it's not really 
really completely clear. But the whole uh, democratic world is facing these um, these issues that uh, that we really need to to get uh, to the bottom of uh, whether our democracies and the processes are resilient enough. And uh, the 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 thing is, you know, um, as as much as Estonia is at the top table now in in the EU and NATO and uh, and sometimes the UN, um, it it is also a young democracy, and it, it's um, un, unlike, uh, for example, France and the Front National. Um, it's um, and you you know all of the many strikes which um, always seem to eventually be overcome in France. Um, you know, Estonia has not been tested in this way, uh, at least not since not in the sort of not in the sort of post-independence era, um, has it? Not that, not that I recall, no. But hmm. um, I mean, uh, what what can we do? Carry on and keep going. Just one last thing to cover. Um, uh, on AIR, the public broadcaster's website, uh, Martin Ehala, the opinion editor of Postumes, was, give, was given a uh, long interview to announce that he was thinking about maybe starting a think tank based on promoting conservative values in society. Um, as um, as he put it, an alternative to Varu Vogelade's uh, SAPTK, the Family Protection Agency, um, which, according to Ehala, fo- focuses on a much narrower set of principles. So my first question on this would be why is why is ERR the public broadcaster, you know, ha- having having not given time to, for example, uh, climate activist Gertu Birgit Anton to talk about renewable energy or, or uh, oil shale, why are they giving time to someone thinking about maybe starting a right wing think tank? Uh, it it feels like, uh. It 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 feels like mates helping mates here, and that doesn't feel like the purpose of uh, public news. But why are they doing it? Oh well, Estonia seems to be in utter need for another uh, right wing think tank. There, there's lots of thinking that needs to be done in this direction. I'm sorry, being very sarcastic here. And uh, as a as a matter of ERR, giving a platform for someone who happens to be the the opinion editor of the biggest um, daily paper um, I'm not sure I, I I really can't explain that and it's it's maybe also difficult to explain why these things keep happening ah uh, well this is a such a philosophical question I don't know but as for um, the platform for uh, more progressive uh, voices um i guess to say anything um uh sort of uh, with a high grade high degree of certainty here we uh, should really know if there have been many uh pieces rejected on this uh, edge or is it just that people who um have more progressive views tend to not uh, even go to this platform tend to not even consider this something somewhere where they could publish things, which is also a problem because uh, it's uh, it's a platform financed uh, by the public uh, money and everyone and every opinion should uh, have uh, access to that, not just one side. 
as well as the current situation that we that we find ourselves in uh, with Anvar Samost in charge of the news at ERR, um, it, it now looks like uh, ERR's board may have a new addition because uh, after each election, um, all of the political parties are um, mandated to... Um, um, uh, request that one of their members join the board. ECRA have chosen uh, current Rigikoku member and um, uh, famed lawyer and family campaigner Varo Voglade to be their representative. And it really raises the question in my mind, um, who, when they were drafting the law on the public broadcaster, thought that it would be fine for the um, elected member of the you know, main national legislature to also have a seat on the public broadcaster whose job it is to neutrally scrutinise that. It, it it feels like a total conflict of interest, which is protected by the law. No, um, this bit is not a conflict in the, of the interest by by law or or by habit. Uh, there are there are always uh, parliament members on the board. The conflict of interest here is that Varro Vogleid also happens to be a major publisher with his um, objective, which also belongs to his uh, uh, think tank or NGO or whatever. Being a public public broadcaster, it has been in the setup uh, that to um, to have this uh, balance of political opinions in the board, which. So nobody has really doubted, and I think this is not uh, not a terribly wise uh, way to oversee the public broadcaster. And uh, there are much much better schemes how this is being done in different other countries that have public broadcasters, be it Germany, be it the BBC, so that the board should reflect uh, the society at large much better in terms of. Um, gender balance, age balance, uh, race and other criteria, which is not the case here and uh, which is also what explains the output to a great extent. Um, anyway, thank you for listening to Crestonia. We'll have uh, more um, political and news related stuff coming up soon and uh, stay tuned also for the interview with Ingrid Lucas. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet QuestoniaPod or you can also uh, email QuestoniaPod at gmail.com. Um, thank you very much and bye for now.